Hey everyone, this is Aubrey. And this is Melody. And we want to welcome you to our new podcast, Mostly Mostly Macabre. So how have you guys been since last time we recorded? Um, I've just been busy. I've been trying to like wrap up Bella's last year in elementary school. She's going to middle school, so yeah. She's going to be a middle schooler. Hence all that attitude I just told you about. <laughs> yeah. She's got, like, it's the end of the year, like, stuff. Like, she's got her big You're field You're going to have her hands full with Graduation. her attitude. Yeah. And then so there's cheerleader tryouts for middle school. So, like, it's just weird. I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, I am one of those parents where, like, I was, I went to, you know, the Zoom meeting for the cheerleading team to, like, get all the information. Mm-hmm. And I, like... I downloaded like the cheer and the because now it's so much better than when I was younger. Like they have, they just show you on like a video and you can practice and learn. And I'm like, oh cool. We didn't have that. We had to memorize. I used to write things down and like to memorize the movements. I'm like, oh, this is so much better now. (laughs) And I was like getting so pumped. I'm not even kidding you. I'm I'm, like embarrassed. I'm like a dork. You're gonna be such a cheer Cheer mom. I didn't even know I was a cheer mom until I started to be like, all right, Bella. So here's what we're gonna do. And I'm like, I will help you. And I, I had that like fire inside, like burning. I was like, oh my god, I'm so excited. And I was like, holy crap. Crap, who am I? <laughs> what am I you're going to be like Chris Jenner. You're doing great, sweetie. Uh, no, I'm going to be like, straighten those arms. Smile bigger. Like, it's, it was so, yeah. I was like, tighter, Bella. You got to snap it. <laughs> so, oh, my God. And then I just, like, heard myself, and I'm like, I can't believe. <laughs> I didn't expect this to come out of me. <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, so there's like a lot going on. And there's Ryder who's just like, with his new uh, Xbox, I get him for his birthday. He's just been like, I've had to cut him off here Locked and there. in his room, basically. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. When did you get that for him? His birthday was, his was birthday? April 4th. Oh. So I got, yeah, that was his big, he's wanted it for a while. So I was like, oh, that's a good birthday gift. And yeah. I got that for him. So. Oh, it's so good that he didn't have one before. I guess. No, I, think I waited so. a long time. I tried That's to, good. but now he's so addicted. AJ's always had an Xbox because Jay loves Xboxes. Yeah. So AJ's always had one. See, and Jason, um, the kid's dad, isn't into video games. He, mm-hmm. I think if he was, he probably would have been into it sooner. Oh, yeah, it definitely trickles down. Yeah, kids, and yeah. I just, we put it off as long as possible because it's so addictive. It and, is. And, yeah, like yeah. Call of Duty is the biggest one. It's so violent. No, we don't let him play that. No, one. he does AJ Fortnite, doesn't play very Minecraft, <laughs> yeah, those Roblox, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. He likes Madden. It's a football one. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's a football one. Um, and then Ryder has like I think he has like a um, like the Lego people like those games. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean he's most of them are at his dad's house on that set. Mine, I didn't get the one that you put the actual like games in. I got the one that you can just download digitally. I don't know the difference. Yeah, I had to do a lot of homework. I called, oh, I called my brother drive. multiple yeah. times. I texted him. I was like, is this good? What? And then I learned, I'm like, oh, wait a second. You have to buy like rechargeable batteries because these things die. And I didn't know that like. The controller? For the controller. You can also buy. A, oh, yeah, that's right. Jay plug. has rechargeable batteries. Well, it's a wireless one. And I just put in normal batteries. And then he's mm-hmm. like, my remote's dead. And I was like, 
wait a second, that was fast. Yeah. And then You're my neighbor. through a lot of batteries my neighbor's if you don't buy rechargeable My neighbor upstairs, her son, he was like, no, no, he sent me what I needed. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, so I went and bought the, the rechargeable with yeah. the cord that you can charge them up. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't even think of that because I've never. I stopped playing video games at Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Like Donkey Kong was where I ended. Super I Nintendo, it. What's it? We Super would Mario. have them when we were kids. We had like a Sega Genesis. Yeah, and Sega then Genesis. My brother got a Game Boy, but he was such a like game hog that I rarely got you to play. Yeah. So I just like kind of lost interest in it. Yeah. Was it the small skinny one? Or the was little, it? he had a little yellow Game Boy color. <gasps> oh, see, because you're younger. That. I remember, okay, so we had the original Nintendo with a square mm-hmm. remote and Hell duck yeah. hunt, which is amazing. Remember you'd mm-hmm. sit in front of your big TV that sat on the floor yeah. and you'd shoot the duck and you'd <laughs> clink the TV because you'd get into it and you'd hit it and see? <laughs> and then when you miss the duck, the dog would like mock you like, yeah. and go back yeah. down. And the TV yeah. would flash every time you shot. Yep. Yeah. I didn't oh, have that. Was that was the best. And then it went to Super Nintendo. <laughs> And then I think I don't know what Nintendo happened. Nintendo sixty four. That was the yeah. Most. I kind of stopped at Super Nintendo. My brothers probably mm-hmm. went into it more. I was over it. But then we also had the original Game Boy. That was that big gray fat one with like the green screen yeah. and Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah. You play all the time. And then when Playboy Color came out, that was like a huge deal. Playboy Did Color. You say- That's what you had. You <laughs> don't even know. You said Playboy. Color. Oh, Playboy. <laughs> Oh my god, I've been watching that um Playboy, what's it, the secrets of Playboy? <laughs> Playboy color. Because it in used color. to be black and white. <laughs> it's so funny. Game Boy color. Oh my god. That's hilarious. I hope you got that coming. <laughs> and we're on. <laughs> Today, I'm going to do my story on Bobby Joe Long, also known as the classified ad rapist. Ooh, tell me more. (laughs) And I will. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bobby Joe Long was born Robert Joseph Long on October 14th, 1953 in Canova, West Virginia. His parents were Joe Long and Luetta Lucas. They married when Joe and Luetta, uh, when Joe was 23 and Luetta was 17. And then one year later. Yeah. And then one year later, they had Bobby. Yeah. Very young. Um, They divorced in 1955 before he was even two years old. And Mm. yeah. And then Bobby and Luetta moved to. Fort Lauderdale, te- uh, Texas, Psh, Florida. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know Texas had a Fort Lauderdale. Where I got Texas from um, Florida, where Luetta had some family. Okay. Um, she had to work being a single mom, young single mom. She had to work long hours uh, just to make ends meet. So Bobby Never was very easy. No. And Bobby was left with babysitters for most of the time. Um, her landlord and her landlord's family were actually her babysitters. Quite her a landlord? Bit. Yeah, her landlord. Yeah, mm. and, and, and the landlord's family. So they helped her out a lot, and he was with them quite so a bit. So not the family that she moved to Fort Lauderdale for? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm. They didn't go into yeah. that very much, but apparently her landlord was watched him more. Yeah. I thought that was weird, too. Like, you moved there for family. That is interesting. Apparently yeah. they're not that Super there close. for you. Yeah. So, Bobby Joe had suffered from uh, multiple accidents and head injuries as a child. 
At the age of four, he was at the beach with his mother, and a wave pulled him under, nearly drowning him. Oh, my goodness. At what age? Four. Four. At five years old, he was swinging on a swing set, fell off, was knocked unconscious, and um, a stick pierced his eyelid. Oh, my God. A year later at six, he fell off his bike into a parked car, again knocking him unconscious, and losing several teeth. Poor baby. So it's like once a year he's getting a good head injury. (laughs) He needs a helmet. He needs a helmet all the time, yes. At all times. At all times. Um, the same year that that happened when he was six, um, Luetta and Joe remarried. So they moved back to West Virginia where he had to finish the last few weeks of first grade in West Virginia. Wait, so they broke up and then they got remarried? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a little theme kind of for a while. Um, so anyway, he had to finish the last, just a couple weeks Mm -hmm. in a new school for first grade and he actually ended up failing uh, first grade and being held back. So their marriage didn't last very long. So This time. <laughs> this second time, yeah. yeah. And she ended up moving back to Florida with Bobby. At the age of seven, he fell off a pony, <laughs> hit his head. Damn it, Bobby. And was dizzy and nauseous for over a week. So Over a week? Over a week. That's what was, yes. I or, think that warrants a doctor's visit. Yeah, for mm-hmm. over a week. Around that time, his behavior started to change. So Mm -hmm. it started to decline. He was starting to have altercations with classmates Mm -hmm. and family members. At seven? Seven years old, yeah. And he really struggled in school. Mm -hmm. So I guess back then, you know, they didn't really know about ADHD. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, he would have been diagnosed with ADHD. Back then, he just struggled unknowing, you know, what was going on. So he definitely had ADHD, and it was really hard for him. Along with all those head injuries. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. (laughs) A stick through the eye will do it. Yeah. In 1961, eight-year-old Bobby was hit by a car. Again? Yeah, every year. He's getting getting injured. He hit the car the first time. The second time, the the car car came back and hit him. (laughs) Yeah. So he hit his face on the bumper, knocking him unconscious. And he was in the hospital for just a few days. Um. At nine, he was climbing a fence, fell off, hit his head, and had stitches on the left side. So they're getting to know him at the hospital. So they know him well. <laughs> he's yeah, a he's, flyer. he's a frequent flyer. He has had a lot of hits to the head. This poor, this, this poor kid, this poor cranium. Yeah, and he's already struggling. He needs to stay on the ground. Why is he climbing fences? And the funny thing is, it's not like he's. Um, Doing anything that normal kids don't do. It's yeah, not like, oh, someone watched true. that kid. Everything that he's doing normal is Normal like, stuff, riding normal. ponies, going into <laughs> going the, to beach. the beach, riding a bike. But he just seems to be very <laughs> accident prone, clumsy. very clumsy. Oh, my exactly. gosh. So Bobby needs a permanent helmet. Um, so by the time he was 10, he was, re- he, um, was really bullied at school. Between having struggles with learning mm-hmm. and his peers and then also his appearance, his jaw was mis- uh, like deformed from, from all, all his injuries accidents. and he was missing teeth. So mm. socially, it really started to take a toll on him. Also, he was born with Klinefelter syndrome, which is a genetic condition caused by an extra X chromosome. Mm-hmm. And this condition... Um, creates like an excessive amount of estrogen production mm. which causes a man to grow breasts during puberty oh. and plus 
other things. I mean, like they. So could, Bobby needed a bra and a helmet. A bra and a helmet, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, pretty poor much. Bobby. And didn't help him socially. So no, he was teased not. relentlessly, and he actually underwent breast reduction surgery. And in one place, I read that they took. Like when they did the reduction, it was mm-hmm. six pounds that oh, they removed. Yeah. Six pounds. That's yes. Yeah. I, I That's just a lot. To, I had to throw <gasps> that in there. So it wasn't like a small reduction. No, he had them hitters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, right at that time, ten years old, all the way to about Oof. like, you know, you're starting yeah. to get into puberty age, everyone's teasing you. At ten years old, six pounds of breast tissue. No, 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 no. Re- they didn't say the reduction was at ten. Oh. I'm just saying like his it starts to decline. You know, yeah. like he was already having a, a real rough go. Mm-hmm. And then like the social aspect of it really starts to yeah. hit home. So his relationship with his mother was described as dysfunctional. It depends on where you read. Some people said that she was not very attentive. Other places said that she always denied that she was, you know, neglectful. And some people said she was a great mother. Due to their financial situation, he had to share a bedroom with his mother. So he mm-hmm. slept in her bed until he was about 12 or 13. I'm wondering because you said that there's a whole financial situation going on. Mm-hmm. How they paid for this breast reduction. Do you think that's something that his mom Good like worked question. her ass off to pay for? Or is that something that... That's probably something insurance covered. Considering you think so? it's a condition. Yeah. Because mm. it's not cosmetic, if you really think yeah. about it. Yeah. But no. So, yeah, it was probably... They didn't say who paid for it, but... <laughs> I, I assumed <laughs> but it, it wasn't yeah. out there. The information yeah, is probably, just something that I was probably wondering. Probably something insurance covered, considering it's a condition, like mm-hmm. medical. Um so his mother was known to be a very beautiful woman and being young and mm-hmm. very pretty, she mm-hmm. worked in bars, she worked mm-hmm. long hours to okay. make ends meet. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um, where she would meet men and sometimes she'd bring them home. When she did, she'd make Bobby sleep on the couch. So around that time, his resentment toward his mother started to increase. So, yeah, so basically, and he started to become very um, verbally abusive to her. Yeah. At what age is this that he's around 13? 13. 13. Mm-hmm. So, puberty age, he started to get, mm-hmm. it started to escalate more. Um, so, then at 13, Bobby's disturbing behavior did not stop. It just kind of continued from there. At 13, he shot the family dog in the genitals because he was angry that his mother gave the dog a special cut of meat for dinner. What? And only gave him a a burger. Mm. Only a burger? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. At 15, he was accused of stealing a car from a friend, but the charges were dropped, so he didn't end up getting in trouble for it. Mm Mm-hmm. At 17, he was arrested for being in possession of stolen property. Um, again, he did get in trouble for that one. What did he steal? Do they didn't get, they didn't say. Because I was kind of wondering myself, like, mm-hmm. someone had to probably reported it. And they found it on him, so he got in trouble for it. At 18, he was accused of raping a girl. But there was not enough mm. evidence to prosecute him. And again, he did not get in trouble for it so we're starting to see a little pattern here yeah Yeah. um and then he decided to join the army Mm -hmm. which back in the day that's what criminals did a lot of people did yeah (laughs) yeah i guess when they don't know what to do with themselves they join the army he joined the army and while he was in the army he earned his ged because he had dropped out of school his sophomore year Mm -hmm. he had dropped out tried to go back and then dropped out again so 
he at least got his GED. Then Bobby married his longtime girlfriend, Cynthia, who he had been dating since he was thir- they were 13 years old. And they ended up having two children, a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find their names, and I don't really want to say their names because yeah. they're children and or they, they had were. nothing to do with this. Exactly. So early in the marriage, um, Bobby Joe was involved in a serious motorcycle accident. Because you know another what? Time one. had just gone. He was due for another yeah, it's supposed to be <laughs> another year. head injury. And exactly. Too good for too long. Too good for too long. Shattering his helmet. Well, he had he, a helmet. Had he a finally helmet wore the time. helmet and then his the impact from his skull hitting oh my the, goodness. Uh, the helmet and hitting the asphalt shattered the helmet and he was hospitalized for several weeks. And he was plagued with these blinding headaches and bouts of rage while mm. he was recovering. Cynthia later claimed that um, his temperament changed and that he was always short-tempered, but after this he was starting to become physically abusive with her mm-hmm. and very impatient with his children. He also developed a strangely overt, compulsive, and dangerous sex drive, insisting that Cynthia have sex with him every time she visited him at the hospital. And once he was While discharged... in the hospital? Yes, in the hospital. And then when he discharged at home, he insisted that she sleep with him twice a day. Also, the nurses had noted that he would masturbate four to five times a day, even when he was in a cast. So, so what kind of cast at, was it? I don't know. They did not specify what kind of cast he was in. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Like, so, basically, his sex drive after this head injury amped up. His rage. He just His oh. personality kind of changed. Mm-hmm. Um. So after that accident, he was medically discharged from the Army, and he decided to go to school and get his AS degree and become an x-ray technician. Okay. He had a hard time holding down a job because, basically, he was weird. I mean, he was good at his job. They did say that he was good at his job mm-hmm. and that um, he was knowledgeable and capable, but he would talk about sex a lot with his coworkers, male and female, Oh, uh-huh. that's not good. Yeah, to like a weird degree. Yeah, that's not good water cooler talk. No. And then he would also, um, he got in trouble because females that were coming in to get x-rayed, um, he was having them take their clothes off unnecessarily. Mm. So they mm. reported him and they ended up firing him for that. So there was that. So because he was not a stable worker, they moved around a lot. And eventually, Luetta and Joe, who were, they ended up back together, but not married later mm-hmm. on. They ended up helping um, Bobby Joe and Cynthia buy a house to give them stability. Mm-hmm. That's nice of them. Yeah. So, unfortunately, though, Bobby's anger and violence got worse and worse towards Cynthia and while her children watched. And in 1980, mm-hmm. she filed for a divorce. The rejection enraged Bobby Joe. Like, he's already got woman issues. Yeah. Between his mom, and then he's with her for so long, and she leaves him, and that just kind of set him off completely. And it just seems like he's becoming more More increasingly unpredictable as well. Exactly. And he started taking his anger and violence out on other women. So he moved in with a female friend, Sharon Richards, who later accused him of rape... And battery. And again, 
there was not enough evidence, and mm-hmm. they didn't prosecute him. So, so he's starting to think awful. I can get away with this probably. Exactly. There's like such a pattern. Well, this going is on easy here. to get away with. Shortly after that, he began his violent string of rapes in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area from 1980 to 1983. He would find his victims in the classified ads or even houses that were for sale. He'd find them selling small appliances and he'd show up and see if it was a house, you know, just a woman home alone. Mm-hmm. And he would threaten them with a knife, tie them up, and brutally rape them. Mm. He was tried and convicted of this of these crimes, but requested a new trial, and it was granted. Now, I couldn't find what under what circumstances he requested yeah. a new trial, but it was granted, and later the charges were dropped. Man. Wow. During that time, he had committed up to 50 rapes. How do they know that it was 50? Well, afterward, he uh-huh. told them. So during the time, yeah, he had committed up to 50, in the classifieds, raping at least 50 women. Oh, that's awful. Mm-hmm. He then moved to Long Beach, California to take a welding class and started dating a 17-year-old girl who lived across the street from him. 17? 17, yes. Mm-hmm. How old is he at this point? Um, he's probably almost 30. I know he got mm-hmm. divorced when he was 27. Mm-hmm. So, again, he started contacting women through the penny saver or the classified ads, and when he would show up to see whatever it was that they were selling, he'd ask to use their bathroom, pull out a rape kit, and then brutally rape them. Oh, my gosh. He was never prosecuted for those crimes in California. And then he ended up moving back to the Tampa Bay area, to, the, to Tampa. Mm-hmm. In the fall of 1983, Long was charged with calling and sending inappropriate photographs and sexually explicit letters to a 12-year-old girl in Tampa. Now, how he knew this girl, I don't know. Yeah. Everywhere I looked, like... How did he get her information? Like, I don't pick know this how one out of her. all the 12-year-old girls. I think they kind of, like, one, they, her name was never out there, which probably because she's yeah. a minor, but also mm-hmm. maybe the connection was too close, and that's why it's not out there. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe you could narrow down who she was, but everything I read just said that a 12-year-old girl from Tampa and never gave anything else. Guess how long I'm he- glad that they were able to keep her information so under wraps, especially for that time. Yeah. Well, it probably was easier back then without the internet, you know, right. but yeah, so they definitely kept it under wraps. Guess how long he went to prison for? Let's play this game. Mm. Oh, God. It's going to piss me off. Yeah. Six months? Kevin? I'm going to say under a year, probably. He went to jail. Serving two days in prison. Oh, my Two days. God. And six months of probation. Disgusting. Wow. Like, you go to jail longer for drug charges. Right. So, yeah. Two days in jail, six months probation. I feel like it's always been like that where rape is just too easy to get away with. Mm. <sighs> That's pedophilia. Like, <laughs> that's more than, like... So as you can see, he's just progressing. Mm-hmm. As time is going on, he's getting worse. He's escalating. It's getting more aggressive, more, the you know, the acts are getting worse and worse. Well, he's been getting away with it. He's probably been more He's brave. getting he away with it. He's getting braver. And, and also it's, you know, it's that's how it happens. That escalates. They need more. The more they do, the more they need. So then let's, on Mother's Day, May 13th, 1984, two boys were playing outside and found the body of Lana Long. 
Lana Long was 19. She had moved to the United States with her family 10 years before her death. She lived in L.A. and was working as a go-go dancer when she met a man named John Corcoran. John was 35 years older than her, um, but they hit it off, and she decided to move to Tampa, Florida with him. Mm-hmm. After a few months of living in Tampa and not working, she got bored and decided to go back to go-go dancing. So she took a part-time job at the Sly Fox Lounge in Nebraska Avenue. Have we heard of it, Kevin? He's, yep. a, he's a regular. <laughs> I'm, I'm a connoisseur, but I do not know that one. <laughs> uh, I don't know that one. I don't even know if it's still around. I know Nebraska F. I Not know personally, Nebraska. I've, I've heard, heard of it. Of, yeah. Everybody knows Nebraska yeah. if you're from Tampa. You know that. It has yeah. a reputation. <laughs> exactly. Um, she was very well liked. She was de- described as a pretty petite girl who was bubbly, fun, and had an appealing personality. She did, however, have a problem with addiction and liked to drink and use cocaine. Mm. One of her favorite places to go after work was CeCe's. It's a bar on Fletcher Ave. Um, And she didn't have a car, so she would walk there a lot. Also, she would try to get rides from friends and sometimes customers. So Mm -hmm. she had those blurred lines with the customers where she felt comfortable enough to get in the car with them. Well, she probably saw them often, so maybe it was easy to trust them because you see them all the time. So one night while she was walking down Nebraska, Bobby Joe spotted her and offered her a ride. She accepted and got into the car. As soon as he um, got her in the car, he pulled out a knife and he tied her up. He drove to a remote area and he brutally beat her, Mm. raped her, and then strangled her. He left her face down with her hands bound behind her back and her legs spread so far apart like he posed her yeah Mm -hmm. very demeaning very just everything about it was very angry and yeah like they said it she her feet were measured five feet from one heel to the other oh my god and that looked like in order to even get her in that position like you would have had to like break her hips like it was very (gasps) oh my goodness yeah i can't imagine um the investigators captain gary terry and detective lee baker could tell that the scene was unique and after analyzing everything they were thinking we need to send this evidence to the fbi because they had a feeling that they were going to need some help with whoever that killer was Mm -hmm. so they bagged up the rope the scarf and took impressions of tire prints that they found at the scene um two weeks later a construction worker found the body of 22 year old michelle denise sims she was also brutally murdered. So two weeks after the first one? Mm-hmm. This is when they found her body. Yep. At a lover's lane in Plant City. It was reported the scene was so shocking and gruesome that the construction worker that found her was crying. They actually oh described gosh. it as weeping when the police showed up. Oh, my goodness. You know it had to be bad. Yeah. Oh, it's it was pretty. Even the... Captain Bill Miller, Captain Terry, Sergeant Randy Latimer, and crime scene examiner Lee Miller described it as ghastly. And there was blood everywhere. It sounds to me like he was getting something out of leaving these bodies posed in that way to get like a shock effect out of whoever found them. 
At least he was for enjoying Atlanta. It. Oh yeah, no, he definitely this he was ta- he was totally getting some sort of gratification out of all of this. Like he was taking out his personal feelings, his anger, whatever it was he had. This was totally something he was getting something from, mm-hmm. you know? Um <clears throat> They said that uh, the scene was so bloody that she was lying nude on her back with dried blood caked to her face and neck, that her throat had been slashed several times so deep that it, like, severed arteries or severed um, a large blood vessel or something. That's what they said. Um, she had a rope wrapped three times around her neck and tied off with a hangman slip knot. Her that arms excessive. Oh yeah, no. He was like I said. These like very gruesome, very gruesome crime scenes. Her arms were tied at the wa- uh, at the wrists and secured to her body. Her green t shirt had been ripped or cut down the front, and all she had on was an anklet and stud earrings. Mm. Her blood stained white jumpsuit and her white pantyhose were hanging in a tree. And they also described it as, like, the wind was blowing mm-hmm. and it was moving the pantyhose, which kind so of gave eerie. it... And, and that's what they said. gave it more of an eerie, dark feel, like, just because the scene was so mm. gruesome. Um, Everything about this is so fucked up. Oh, yeah. It's... Yeah. It's dark. He's a it's sicko. So dark. He is such a freak. <laughs> He's such a sicko. Um so the investigators suspected that this murder was connected to Lana's due to the brutality and the similarities of the, in the scene. And um, later it was confirmed after they had sent her the evidence to the crime lab in Washington with the FBI. They found these trilobal red fibers on both of um, the girls, like on like the, the rope and the scarf like they had in the mm. clothing. Trilobal? Trilobal, it's like a certain shape. I mm. guess it's more of a unique shape for the fiber is what I read. Like when you look at it under a under microscope? Under a microscope, it kind of looks like, um, it just has three different, like the shape like of it. Like three lobes. Yeah. Okay. And um, they said it was made of like cheap material, mm-hmm. but they didn't really know what it could have been car mats it could have been a carpet some sort of cheap mm-hmm. carpeting they didn't they weren't really sure of what exactly it was but they connected the murders not only you know just from the look of it but also those fibers became mm-hmm. really important in his murders that is really important because that's what linked most of his murders together mm-hmm. so a little bit about michelle sims she was a former california beauty contestant Raised by her aunt and uncle after the death of her mother, her father was in prison from 1966 to 1977 and disappeared from her life once he was um, released from jail. I tried to find out what he did, but, you know, I couldn't find anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just curious. She had moved to Fort Pierce, Florida in 1980 with her boyfriend, Tom Sanchez. She had recently become a sex worker to support her drug habit. Tom had stated that, and these are qu- this is a quote, that Michelle was going through about $1,000 a week for cocaine. She was getting into freebasing. I was trying to get her to quit. It was ruining her life, but she refused to even try and quit or help herself. What is freebasing? Freebasing is when you, like, I think it's when you um you cook it. Mm-hmm. And, like, is that what, I think it's when you, like, I think coven? It's, yeah, you cook yeah. it and smoke it. And smoke it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, a more intense high, I guess. I guess it's kind of like crack, right? Is that what they know. use the spoon for? I, no, that's injecting, I would think. I'm not, a, I don't really know, but 
You can Google it later. Let us know. I don't freebase and I don't do heroin. (laughs) I am not an intravenous drug user, so I am not sure on that. But that's something fun we can look up later. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So about six months before her murder, they had broken up. And she had only been in Tampa for one night before she got murdered. Oh, my gosh. The next day, on the 28th, Memorial Day, a 33-year-old woman, Linda Nuttall, uh, was raped in her home after she had put an ad in the classifieds. And her one- and four-year-old were home at the time. Oh, no. Mm. So that's like the next day. So, again, as we go He's working fast. He's working fast, and it's just... He's escalating. Like, nothing is feeding this monstrous need that he has. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. On June 8th, 1984, Elizabeth Lodenbach um, left her home to take a walk and never returned. Elizabeth lived in a mobile park home east of Nebraska mm-hmm. Ave mm-hmm. with her mother, stepfather, her brother, and her sister. She worked at an electronics factory with her mother, and they rode to work every day together. Um, she was a quiet girl who enjoyed reading books by the pool and going for walks to get out of the crowded house. So she isn't somebody that you would say lives a risky lifestyle. This is just a she's different girl minding her business, minding like her own working business. at an electronics store, yeah, going for a walk. Mm-hmm. And this, yes, and you'll see here um, as we go on, they do notice that, and mm-hmm. they actually didn't really connect her murder, or they didn't because she was it, different. Because she was different. Um, so let's see here. She also enjoyed going to a pool, a pool parlor near her house where she would go with her friends, but she also like, would walk home alone mm-hmm. from time That's to time. That's brave of him to expand like that because a lot of times they choose those people living risky lifestyles for well, that purpose. He didn't really know because like I said, she lived near Nebraska Avenue and mm, she just would by the walk, fact that she was there on Nebraska. She was walking home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he probably just assumed she was right. you know, a, right. living okay. a riskier life. That does make sense. Mm-hmm. So about two days after she went for that walk and never came back, um, her mother reported her missing. Why it took her two days, two I'm days. not really sure. Probably because she was twenty two and she did mm-hmm. have a boyfriend. So, like, maybe she just was used to her mm-hmm. kind of going out. Like, I know my Did mom. Did people have cell phones at this time? Or no. is that still before this is cell before phones? cell phones. This okay. is the 80s. <laughs> right. So it's not like she can just text her. Yeah. And, yes. And she was 22. Mm-hmm. She had a boyfriend. She could do what she wanted. So I guess two days later, when she didn't return home, she had called the police because she was actually epileptic and had medication. And her mother oh, started to okay. worry because she knew that she would be out of meds. And that was very unlike her to not show back up not show back up or not to have her medication or at least talk to her and let her know Mm -hmm. what was going on. The police talked with neighbors, her employer, her coworkers, who all stated she would never get into a car with a stranger. So the police had no leads and they were completely at a loss. So they really didn't know what happened to her until 16 days later when they found her body. It was badly decomposed in an orange grove in Brandon. Mm. She was laying on her back, fully clothed, with no ropes present at the scene. Police stated she was different from the other victims because she was not a drug user. She was not a stripper. Mm -hmm. She was not a prostitute or a sex worker. Um, They did not connect her murder to him. And they also suspected her boyfriend 
Um, oh my goodness! Yes, because he had failed a polygraph mm-hmm. examination, so he was under the in, in the hot seat for a while. I feel like I would fail a polygraph test because I would just be so nervous and overthinking everything. I think I would too. I have an anxiety disorder, and I they'd be like, "Is your name Aubrey?" And I'd be like, "Yes," but like, you're lying because <laughs> I would just be nervous in general. Right? Yeah, I've always thought about that. Where I'd be like. And then how do you turn it down without them being like, oh, so you don't want to prove you're innocent? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. It's a, it's a mess. It's a whole mess. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to take one either just because mm-hmm. I don't think, even if I was being honest, if I, that I'd pass it. If there's anything I've learned from true crime, though, is immediately call a lawyer. Yep. Say nothing. What's your name? Just I call want a lawyer. lawyer. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And a lawyer would tell you don't take the polygraph. So Right. Um, so eventually, I guess they, um, luckily they had sent her clothing and evidence to the FBI lab and eventually they did identify her murder with, um, the other murders because of the trilobal the fibers, fibers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that took some time. Like they didn't know that for yeah, it takes quite some time a while to process that. Stuff. So they really had no idea that she was even connected. Cause again, she wasn't, she wasn't naked. She wasn't bound. Mm-hmm. She was not, you know, a somebody sex was doing their job at that lab whenever they found those fibers and connected the pieces together. Oh, yeah. No, they actually went to, like, um, I, w- oh, I don't have his name on here. I have it written down somewhere. But uh, he was, like, this was his specialty. Uh-huh. He was, like, a fiber specialist in Washington at the J. Edgar I Hoover I love building. this. I love when the pieces come together and like that. And what's really good about it is, like, this was really good police work for the 80s mm-hmm. and for Florida in general. Like... <laughs> This was actually, no, like, they did a real good job. So this is an example of police doing Mm -hmm. it. Round of applause for them. On September 7th, 84, Vicki Elliott was reported missing by her employer when she did not show up for work at the coffee shop at the Ramada Inn Hotel that she worked at. Um, She was picked up on her way to work while she was walking. Was this also on Nebraska? I don't know. I know it was close by. If it wasn't mm-hmm. on Nebraska, it was close to Nebraska because he stayed in the same general area. Because mm-hmm. um, this sounds like another woman just not in a high risk lifestyle working at a hotel, minding mm-hmm. her own business again. Well, if they're walking, he's trying to pick them up and he's seeing who gets in the car. Yeah, but he's also assuming they're, they're sex mm-hmm. workers. Um, she was from Muskegon, Michigan. And she actually had planned on moving back to go to school to become a paramedic. Mm-hmm. On uh, She had a plane ticket bought and everything for oh, wow. October 5th. Actually, okay, so they would not know about her until he actually got arrested and he told them about her. Really? So she was never found. She was killed then, but never found until after his arrest. But she was the next victim. Mm-hmm. I just did it in a timeline so you guys could yeah. see the prog- like how so he was progressing. So how many are we at right now? We're at the fourth victim, the fourth murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's working quick. I mean, it's so like, many. Yeah. In a span of like a, a couple weeks. Yeah. The next victim was Chanel De- Devin Williams. She was 18. Oh, that was on, this was on October 7th. She was, she had recently moved to Tampa from Bartow, Florida. She had just started sex work and was living with a friend at a $14 a night motel off Nebraska Ave. Mm. So her and her friend had like this deal, like if one was in the room, the other one would just go for a walk. And so that's what she was doing. Like her Mm -hmm. friend was in the room, so she was just trying to kill time while her friend made her money. 
and she was walking down Nebraska Ave when a man pulled up and um, asked her, you know, if she wanted a ride. So she got in the car, and instantly he just started beating her when she got in the car. Wow. Mm -hmm. He bound her hands. That was kind of his MO. As soon as they got in the car, he would bind them and then take them somewhere else. So he would attack Mm -hmm. them and tie them up right away. He continued to beat her, and then he drove her to an entrance road of a cattle ranch where he untied her and attacked her. And he, he attempted to strangle her to death. Mm-hmm. But she fought back pretty hard, and it was taking a long time. So he decided to shoot her mm. in the back of the head execution style. Because Has he shot anybody up to now? Up to now, now he hasn't shot anybody. This changed, this changed them out a little bit. This changed his style. Um, she was found a week later by a man riding by on a horse, and police had to identify her by fingerprints. Wow. They were not sure if she was connected because she was black. She was, uh, he used a gun and that was totally Mm -hmm. different. But they decided to send, um, but she was found nude and she was involved in sex work. Mm -hmm. So they did decide to send her clothes to the lab for testing. He did bind her at one point. At one point, yes. Yeah, but I think when they found her, she was not bound. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe like some of the fibers were on her body. But that's again, that's how they connected these murders. So they did decide to send her the clothing or mm-hmm. the, whatever they had the evidence there for testing at the FBI lab, and they connected it with the trilobal red fibers. <clears throat> trilobal. <laughs> so after that, they asked the um, FBI to help them with a criminal profile to kind of come up with, you know, whatever it was, like right. just mm-hmm. kind of get an idea of who he is. The next victim was Karen Beth Disenfriend, D-I-N-S-F-R-I-E-N-D, Disenfriend? I don't know if I'm saying it right. She was 28. She was a beautiful, intelligent girl born into a wealthy family from St. Petersburg. Oh, she's wealthy. Is this how he gets caught? Wait and find out. To be continued. Um, Just going off of patterns of the world always. Well, she was introduced to drugs when she was in junior high, and her life quickly spiraled out of control after that. She mm-hmm. just went downhill. She ended up going to jail after stealing from a bank she was working at by skimming off the skimming off the top. <laughs> and um, while she was in jail, she decided to earn her GED, and she really wanted to get her life together. Good for her. So when she came back out, Two years later, she gave birth to a little girl in Pennsylvania, but unfortunately, within a year, the daughter was court-ordered into foster care, and she had lost custody of her daughter. This caused her to just unravel, and she got into drugs again, Mm -hmm. where she ended up again in jail, and once again, she decided in jail, I want to clean up and try and get my life together. So she chose to move back to St. Petersburg. She got a job as a hostess. But unfortunately, she started hanging out with her old crowd. And okay. again, like the story that's told over and over, she fell back in yeah. the old crowd. And she started picking up her drug habit again. Once she got her drug habit, she started doing sex work to try and support that habit. And... um she was picked up on Nebraska Ave, where she was badly beaten. 
The scene was bloody and violent. She was tortured and tied, a rope was tied around her neck where she was actually dragged oh by her neck. Oh, my goodness. And the medical examiner said that the ligature marks around her neck were made while she was still alive. Mm. So she, it was, again, she very was brutal. fighting. And it was brutal. Like, he definitely tortured her. Um, on Halloween, um, a man was operating a backhoe off of 301 and found a mummified figure of a woman. <gasps> At first, he thought it was a Halloween decoration, mm-hmm. and then he realized it was an actual human. The victim was white, about five feet tall, weighed about 110 pounds, with shoulder-length reddish-brown hair, and probably in her early 20s. They didn't have much to go on to connect her with the other murders, Mm -hmm. but they were not going to leave any stone unturned. Mm -hmm. They decided that they were going to, again, send her clothes and all that to... The Too FBI lab. lab. And then, because it's not that they were dressed, most of them, but the clothes were around them. So, like, they would collect it. Um, they also made an urgent appeal to the, like, to the public, trying to find out who she was, mm-hmm. trying to get details of who she Did was. Did they know how long she had been there? Because um, you mentioned she was mummified, so... Well, that's the thing. I thought it was going to, they think that she was there. I think I read it was about, they thought she was there for at least two weeks. And I thought like mummified, it would be like a really. How long does it take to mummify? But in Florida Mm -hmm. with the heat and everything, and depending on this, like, is there water? Like depending on the conditions, I guess that makes a big difference in like Hmm. the decomp of the body and what happened. I didn't realize it could happen so quickly. I, I just either. always assumed like mummies, like mummification. I thought took- the same thing because they said mummified and I'm like, this is, she's got to be like the first victim. This is got to be right. old. But then, no, nope, it's not. just because of huh. like Florida weather. Like a lot of these, some of these women, like when they found them, they were like bones almost. Mm. Yeah. And they were only out there for a couple weeks at a time. Florida. Because of, yeah, decomp is serious down mm-hmm. here. So, um, let's see. They made an urgent appeal to the um, to the public trying to ID the woman. But it wouldn't be until they caught Bobby Joe that they would know her identity. And she, went, she was a sex worker that went by Sugar that he picked up on Nebraska Ave. Okay, so here's, here's his downfall. So, on, what's it, November 3rd. He drove by a girl. Her name was Lisa McVeigh. She was a 17-year-old girl who lived with her grandmother, and she worked at a Krispy Kreme donut shop. Mm -hmm. Um, She worked a lot because she liked to try and stay out of the house. So she picked up a shift, and she had worked a double that day, and she got out at 2.30 in the morning. So she was riding her bike home when a man in a maroon car had spotted her. And he had drove by her first, and then he had turned around, and he had parked behind a van, or he parked his car, and then he was hiding behind a a van, waiting for her to ride by. He grabbed her by her hair and pulled her off her bike. Mm. So he kind of, like, just blitz attacked, like, just totally snuck up on her. So fast. Ripped her right off the bike. Yeah. (gasps) He was just out there prowling, saw her, took her off the bike. He dragged her, um... Through the parking lot. Oh, he held a gun to her and um, told her he would kill her if she wasn't quiet. After that, he forced her into his car, made her take off her clothes, where he blindfolded her. 
and forced him to perform oral sex on him. After he told her to keep her eyes closed while he was driving, even though he still had her blindfolded, and he drove to his apartment on Fowler Ave. While they were driving, she was trying to be as attentive as possible. She was mm-hmm. just following what he said to do because she was trying to live. But um, she was also trying to be as observant as possible. Mm-hmm. So she was trying. I wonder why he decided to take her to his apartment. I don't he, think he that he's done that with the up. others. No, no, he didn't. So he decided to take her to the apartment. Um, <clears throat> but he also knew she wasn't a sex worker because it was mm-hmm. clear that she was just a, a young girl riding home from work. Yeah. Like she had her uniform on. So I don't know. Maybe that kind of changed something for him too. I have no clue. Hmm. But um, so he took her to the apartment. When they arrived, he helped her put on her shirt and her pants, but he left her underwear, shoes, and socks in the car and walked her up two flights of steps to, um, oh, two flights of carpeted steps. Now, I read somewhere that it was green carpeting, and then I read it was red carpeting on the steps. Does it really matter? I'm not too sure, but I just figured I'd share that. (laughs) Once they were in the apartment, he raped her again, and then he took her into the shower where he washed her hair. Afterward, he blow-dried her hair. Like he brushed what is it, this? he brushed it, and he blow dried it, and then he made her go lay on his waterbed. Yeah, it totally so did. weird. He's such a creep. Um, <clears throat> he turned off all the lights, and so he she couldn't see and removed the blindfold, so mm-hmm. it was pitch black. She couldn't see him. Ew. Which to me, like, something about that is so scary. I'm afraid of the dark. That <laughs> freaks me out so bad. Ugh. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. But he still held the gun against her skin mm-hmm. to, like, remind her that the gun was there. What was it? I have a quote he said to her. That's just to let you know I still have my gun, is what he said to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so icky. Oh, I hate this guy. He tied her legs, but loosely, so he could still, you know, rape her. And he continued to sexually assault her. And he was calling her babe. Ew. Yeah. That's so disgusting. So he was like talking to her and like calling her babe. And like, so this is totally different than the other mm-hmm. women. So gross. He is such a creep. Oh, one of the things she did notice though, when he tied her together, he had, um, he used like loose, loose cloth strips mm-hmm. and she had made notice that he had already had them like prepared. Prepared. So that's something that stuck out to her. Loose cloth like he didn't strips. rip anything that he had like he was tying her up with like these cloth strips that he had already had there. Mm-hmm. Um so she was very observant. She was like what's it hypervigilant? Is that what like she yeah. was just super observant. Um which is kind of what helped her. That's and, amazing cuz yeah. I feel like in a situa- situation like this I don't know if I would be able to be cool enough to be hypervigilant. Yeah, she she was definitely hypervigilant and just she's got that analytic personality, mm-hmm. I guess. After he was done for the night, he said thank you to her. Ew. Yeah, and then he went to sleep. I hate him. He's so gross. He is so gross. He is the biggest creep. So she was afraid that he was testing her, like that he was not really asleep, so mm-hmm. she just laid awake all night and in the morning before the sun came up, like I guess there was really, it was still too dark, but it was morning when he woke up, he blindfolded her again. It's so weird to me that like, it feels like he's kind of nice. I don't want to say like really nice, but like quote unquote nice to her. 
compared to the other victims. Oh, he's much nicer to her than and the other I victims. I also he remember that you mentioned that she's 17, right? Wasn't his wife 17 whenever they got married? Um, I don't think she was 17. They, they met when they were 13. Yeah, but his when they mom got was married, 17 when she weren't got they married. 17? I don't think so. Okay. No. But his mom was 17 when she got married. Mm. Yeah, no, I think he, they were like 21 when they got married. So, okay. yeah. But still, no matter what. Scratch that then. And the weird thing is that, that maybe that it reminded girl. him. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, the mommy issues and everything's just weird. Um, okay, so. So he put the blindfold back on her and he just kept talking to her and like saying, like, he's like, I don't know why I did this to you. You're such a nice girl. And yeah, it was weird. So she talked to him making up like a fake name and she gave him some fake story like that her dad was sick and that he needed her and that she was the only one that could take care of him so she was trying to connect with him like while he was Mm -hmm. you know being nice or whatever and just trying to but she didn't want to give him her real information yeah um and she had said that he would mood swing a lot often being really nice one minute and then being really mean and handling her like super rough and being aggressive with her, but it was just like back and forth. Um, I wonder if he was schizophrenic. Um, they no, yeah. they said he wasn't. They bipolar. never really. Mm-hmm. No, he he had a lot of Perhaps head injuries, bipolar. and that's part of like when you have a head injury. That's something that can like I think it's the frontal lobe mm-hmm. when it gets damaged. That's that controls your personality and like your your rage and your like your mm-hmm. emotions like your emotion control really so if he has he's probably a brain damage like let's be real this is cte he's probably had cte some serious brain damage going on like he's had he had a head injury like every year of his life so and then after that last accident is when they noticed a very significant change in Mm -hmm. his aggression and everything because again his wife was with him from the time she was 13 and if he was never aggressive with her until after that like you think he would have been Hmm. aggressive beforehand you know what i mean right um so she was telling all right so finally um she asked if he eventually let her go to the bathroom and at first he was standing there and she asked him if she could just if he could please close the door and he did it so when he closed the door she um took off her blindfold looked around and she decided to leave her fingerprints everywhere in case she got out smart yep she had decided to leave her fingerprints everywhere, like, just so that way she could tell them, you know. I was there. I was there and have proof. So she is. She's on top of it. She was just really, really, like, sharp. And at one point, too, he did, like, because, again, he moved when he, like, fed her at one point. Like, before he opened the one she was done in the bathroom, she put the blindfold back on. And, like, he gave her, like, some gross sandwich or whatever. But, like, he fed her. Yeah. And then he, like, made her go back to... The bed, and then after that, he stopped tying her legs together. He let her just walk freely. Wow, yeah, it's so weird. It's just so strange. How um, long is has he kept her at this point? I know how long he kept her in total. Mm-hmm. I don't know at this point how many hours have gone by, but I mean, they had already gone to bed and woke up. Yeah, so, so like at least twelve or something. yeah. So this is like yeah. Now it's the fourth, um, or maybe it's the I don't know. She was only there for two days. It was 26 hours total that he kept her. Okay. Yeah. So then um, he just kept her in his room for the rest of the day. And then at 2.30 in the morning, he said 
it was time to get going. He put her back in the car. And while she was getting in the car, like, she hit her head, and he said to her, I'm sorry, babe, I should have guided you in. So weird. It's so gross. Like, something about that freaks me out, too. So disgusting. So he started driving, and he asked her if he could trust her not to run while he went to the ATM (laughs) to get money to go to the gas station. So she said, yeah. Sure. But while she was in there, because he would recline the seat back, mm-hmm. and she had the blindfold on, so she could see underneath her um, blindfold. Yeah. So she was trying to, like, she looked around the car. She was taking note of, like, what the car looked like. She was trying to read street signs. She was trying to see, like, as much as she could, and she was trying to remember it. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, she was trying to remember all that to tell the police if she made it out alive. Because she was, she was dead set on living at this point. Mm-hmm. So on the dashboard, she could see that it said the word Magnum. So like that's something she stored away. Um, finally, he pulled into a church parking lot. And he told her that he didn't want to let her go, that he might just keep her. He didn't want to let her go, but he, and he might just keep her. Then he hugged her and he kissed her. He told her that he hopes her... disgusting. F- <laughs> no. He hopes her father gets better. Ugh. Yeah. Then he told her to wait a few minutes before taking off her blindfold and to take care. He literally told her to take care and then drove off. So he just left her there and drove off? He let her go. Wow. Yeah. She ran home and got there around 4.30 in the morning and called the police right away. And she gave such great detail about the apartment and the car, mm-hmm. um, even though she had the blindfold on. And the police were, like, shocked. At first, they didn't want to believe her. They thought she was, like, full of it. And then after a while, they ended up believing her. So it was, like, really rough at first. Like, they thought she was just making it up, that she had stayed out all night. Because you know how, oh, it's yeah. a runaway. Oh, kids. Yeah, they thought that she... um was making it up, and then finally, eventually, another cop. I can't remember who it was. The fact that you have to have so much fucking proof mm-hmm. to be believed. Exactly. Um, but she was on it because she left her fingerprints, and she was taking mm-hmm. every possible, like, mental note. I even read in one source, but I didn't know how accurate it was, so I didn't add it into the story that she um, tried to leave because she was, like, on her period. She tried to leave blood in the car. Mm. But I... Only read that in one place, and then I didn't see it anywhere else. But, again, mm-hmm. she was still trying to, like, leave proof yeah. that she was there. Oh, and before he drove away, that's another thing. He had given her, like, her shoes and stuff. He gave her her stuff back. He really fucked up with this. <laughs> this was yeah. his, yeah. I mean, lucky for her, because she lived. But, like, something about her, because she was, I think, yeah. she was young. She wasn't. A sex worker. She wasn't a drug user. I, yeah, some, she was different she to got, him in some sort of yes, way. Like, she got I feel like to she him. reminded him of someone. Yep, she got to him. So luckily, she was able to, to make it. Um, so eventually, they ended up believing her, and they started to suspect maybe it was linked to the murders, but they weren't sure. So they sent her clothing and stuff to the FBI for to be you know analyzed. Um, in between that time, after her, uh, on November 6th, a woman, Virginia Lee Johnson, who was 18, um, a woman was riding a horse 
through a field and she came across decomposing body parts. Oh my God. So they didn't immediately catch him after her? Well, after this, this, yeah. I mean, I think they just found two more after, Mm -hmm. but I think they were killed beforehand. Okay. And they just found their bodies after. Um, decomposing body parts. She was actually like a horse, right? Like an instructor. She was with a student. Yeah. And they came across decomposing oh body parts. So they rode off, called the police. Um, once they got there, they could see that the murder had been violent and that she was bound and strangled. They collected the evidence and due to the similarities, they sent it to the crime lab in Washington, which confirmed um, that it was connected. Mm-hmm. And at this point, they decided to have a joint task force. They had four different, um, I guess, police departments. departments. They had the TPD, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, the Pasco County Sheriff's Office, and it says FDLE, which I forgot to look up what that was. Can you Google that? Oh, I know. Florida That's Department. the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Okay. Law Enforcement. Okay. Good job, Kevin. So, yeah. So, basically, this was like they all came together. They were Because mm-hmm. usually police departments, everyone is like, they're petty and they're like, they we don't want to share. Get the credit. Yeah, they don't want to work together. They get really like their egos are so big. But in this case, they they all came together. They created a task force, That's and they awesome. were like, they were dead set on getting him. Um, on November twelfth, a sign painter was working and found a a badly beaten and badly beaten body where part of her nose was missing. Like she was so mm. beaten that like. She yeah they couldn't really tell what she looked like. Her name was Kim Marie Swan. She was twenty one, mm. and again he had left her. She was bound, strangled, and left in the same position with her legs spread far I apart. I hate that he does this. Yeah, it's so demeaning and degrading to the person. That's yes. the whole point. But that's the point for mm-hmm. him is to degrade them. So those two were found after Lisa's abduction. They had found those two more bo- two more bodies and then moving forward like they she had given such detail at least they were able to start moving forward a little bit um they were able to connect the fibers with the make and model of the car because she saw that it was magnum or whatever they were able to connect those fibers and with the description of his apartment and, like, the general area, because she gave street signs and different things she saw and mentioned that he went to an ATM, um, the task force divided into teams and were given, like, certain areas to search, and mm-hmm. they were looking for the car and the description of the apartment. Like, they were trying to find the matching apartment. Um, they also subpoenaed several banks for their ATM transactions between the... 2.30 in the morning and 2, I don't know why I said it that way, 2.30, 2.30 in the morning and 4.30. Um, they get a printout from the DMV all the way, like they sent someone all the way to Tallahassee to get a 15-page printout of everyone that owned a Dodge Magnum. That's what he That's had. That's what it was. I was going to say, what kind of car is a Magnum? I don't know cars, Dodge, but yeah. I didn't know. So finally, the first big payoff came when two detectives, while they were driving around trying to like look for the apartment, look for the car... They came across a Dodge Magnum, so they and they pulled him over, and they were instructed to tell him that that the car fit a description of a robbery. Mm-hmm. So they a- 
asked him if they could take his picture and he agreed because they're like, oh, you know, if it wasn't you, we just need a picture to confirm yeah. it wasn't you. We just had to pull you over and check it out. They took his um, license and they took all his information down. So they had his name, his birthday, his I'm surprised address. that he was so like, okay. Well, they just pulled him over. They just said, oh, we're just looking, you know, your car match description of a robbery. We just had to check it out. Oh, you were, you know, he wasn't mm-hmm. at the robbery. So he was like, sure. He didn't think too much of it. Um, I mean, if a cop was like, can I take your picture? I'd be like, no, (laughs) 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 but times are different. Mm -hmm. Got all of his information. And then finally, between getting his information, the DMV paperwork and the ATM records on page 14 of those DMV records, they found his name. And they also found that um, the bank records confirmed that he used his bank card at 3.49 a.m. the same night that Lisa McVeigh was dropped off at that church. So trifecta, he hit, you know, they finally had a name and it matched everything, everything they were looking out. for. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, let's see here. Oh, and that with Bobby Joe Long's, so with that they got his criminal history because they knew who he was. They pulled him up. They saw he had you know, different rape charges, even though he got mm-hmm. away with it, but they could still see all that a pattern. And mm-hmm. then he was also on probation for that child, you know, for that girl in Tampa. And so they had everything. So between that, everything they had, they were able to get a, um, a warrant for his arrest, an affidavit for, um, yeah, they drew up an affidavit for his arrest and warrants for his apartment and his, um, for his oh, permanent good. Home. Yep. So on November 16th, Bobby Joe Long was arrested and um, at a movie theater near his house. Like when he went, they, they were tailing him and they mm-hmm. saw him go in to see, I think it was a Chuck Norris film. So this is what he did on his time off, just like he go went, to the movies. He went to the movies alone to see a he Chuck Norris film. It. And I guess when he came out is when they, mm-hmm. they got him. And, um, you know, they took his car. They started doing the, I guess they were going to take him to his apartment to like, to like search the house and he asked them if he could just, if they could do it without him there. So mm-hmm. because he gave them consent, he yeah, let him in like, and then they took him for? to the police department. So once he was at the police department, he um, consented to an interview. He signed like a consent to interview form and he ended up admitting to the kidnapping. Um, when confronted about the murders, now this took time. They, yeah. you know, they got his story. His story was like, you know, poor me, blah, 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 whatever yeah. it was about Lisa. I don't know why I did it. It was just weird. So then they asked him about the murders, and he denied everything, and he asked to go to the bathroom. So they took him to the bathroom, and when he came out, um, the detective continued to tell him, like, you know, we've got this evidence. Basically laying out, we've got all this evidence against you. Mm-hmm. And... With that, he finally sat back, smiled, and said, and I quote, I guess you've got me. Oh, I guess you've got me good. I guess you've got me good. Then he confessed to the murders, even the ones that they hadn't connected yet. So that's when he told them, even about um, Mm -hmm. Vicky Elliott and, like, the other ones that he had. Yeah, he just spilled everything, pretty much. Hmm. I like when they do that. Me too. (laughs) That that ties a lot together for a lot of people. Mm Mm-hmm. So in April of 1985, he was convicted of first-degree murder for Virginia Johnson and sentenced to death 
Later that year, he pled guilty to eight other murders and received two dozen life sentences. Two dozen. Two dozen. In 1986, he was sentenced to death by, it says electrocution for the murder of Michelle Sims and confessed to a total of 10 murders in the end. So I guess like, I just kind of condensed that into a couple sentences Mm -hmm. because basically his court hearings went on and on. Like he, they made all kinds of deals that he went to court on and off for a very long time. It was really confusing because like if you, I mean, it would be a whole nother episode to even go through the court Mm -hmm. stuff because of how, the deal, like they made a deal, like it was insane. I can't even describe it to you of like how long this went on. He kept going back to court for years and years and years. He was finally executed by lethal injection on May twenty third, twenty nineteen. So it went on for like a really long time. Twenty nineteen. That wasn't even that yeah. long ago. Exactly. And this, he was originally arrested when eighty four. What? Mm-hmm. I told because his court stuff, he just kept going back to court for different things. It was like because also when you get um, when you get uh, a death sentence, mm-hmm. it automatically gets appealed in federal court. That's right. just the mm-hmm. rule. So when they appeal it in federal court, they were like, "This is when like it's kind of got really messy and ugly." There were certain charges that they dropped, and then they got. It was like this whole long court battle, and like it explains why he it took until twenty nineteen to actually execute him. Oh my gosh. Yes. It was like insane. Like I was reading, I'm like, I can't go into all this detail or we will have to have a whole nother episode just, just kill on court. Him already. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lisa McVeigh and Linda Nuttall, who was also the other survivor, they actually watched his execution. Now, some fun facts. Lisa McVeigh grew up. Now, she actually, part of a reason she... um survived and was so in tune with her instincts and how to survive she lived with her grandmother but she was being sexually abused by her grandmother's boyfriend for years where he would hold a gun to her head and rape her so with him holding a gun to her head it was nothing new for her she was kind of yeah like she was kind of already used to that kind of situation where she didn't panic that's why she wanted to work all the time to get out of the house she knew how to handle him so her instincts were already sharpened for a very sad reason, but mm-hmm. also it helped her in the end. Like, you know, she actually, in some of the things she said that, like a quote of hers was, she was talking how she was glad it happened to her because she didn't think another 17-year-old oh would be able goodness. to handle it like what she did. angel face doll. And the other thing was that she had, the night before she was kidnapped, she had written a suicide note. Really? And she was planning to take her own life. And during this whole thing, during that night, she had decided, I'm going to live. Wow. And she wanted to live. <gasps> so part of, like, so it just, yeah. So oh, in the end. my heart is broken for her. So she grew up. She survived this. She grew up and she became a. Wow. Um, a, a sheriff. She is wow. part of the Tampa wow. Sheriff what Department. Wow, a bad yep. bitch. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, <gasps> she is. She's married now. She's got children. She has a whole life, but she helps, um, you know, survivors I love in her Shout everyday life. Shout out to her. Shout out to her. Yeah, she is like a bad bitch, for real. Yep. So that is the story of this disgusting Bobby Joe Long. What? 
Also, the classified ad rapist. He is disgusting. I'm so yeah. done with him. I'm so I can tell that you didn't you didn't enjoy going into it that deep, but uh, you did kind mm-hmm. of. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really wanted to focus more on the victims than mm-hmm. him. Like that's why I kind of gave more detail. He's garbage. Because he's a garbage human. And you know what? Like, and a lot, like, people always want to, vic- like, shame the mom. And I'm not saying, like, okay, his mom, questionable, some of the things. But also, it's like, when do you take responsibility for your own actions? It's not Not everyone. There's a lot of mothers that are struggling to get their kids along. And mm-hmm. those children don't end up becoming exactly. serial killers. When do you take responsibility and stop blaming mommy? Oh, yeah. You know, like, clearly, it wasn't mommy's fault. You were, like screwed up from the beginning and then on top of it there was a lot of head injuries so yep. I think that had a Bobby was clumsy yeah <laughs> Bobby was very clumsy <laughs> but yeah so I that was amazing thank you good job great story yeah well now the question is do you think he really did it <laughs> fuck yeah he did it <laughs> no fuck I think it's guy. a mistake <laughs> I hate him. I hate him so So much. He's so gross. And you know, I really feel bad. Like, I always feel bad for the ex-wife or the kids, especially the kids, because it's like, it's not their fault. But, like, even Mm -hmm. for his ex-wife, like, how blind, like, how devastating. Like, she knew him from the time she was 13. You know what I mean? She, she felt like she knew him knew well. Him, like, of all people, like, you really think you know him? She's like, I grew up with him. Yeah, and then, like, he gets the head injury, which is, like, you're already mourning, like, the loss. It's like almost like he died and a new person came in. But then, on top of it, this happened. Mm-hmm. So, it's crazy. Oh, another thing I read was that, like, I guess after he had confessed, he did request um, that he call Cynthia and let her know before she found out through the news. Mm. Really? So he did call and like drop that bomb on her. Oh my goodness. Imagine getting that phone call. Yeah. By the way, I've killed a few dozen people. Pretty much it's how it went down. And she was And I want you to know before you find out through the media. Pretty much it's what that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that horrible? So yeah, I felt so bad for his kids. I felt so bad for you know, like the just that's really shitty really crazy i can't imagine getting that phone call Ugh. is that yeah. courtesy Curtis? i don't know i mean in a way i guess <laughs> but i don't know i yeah. don't know what to make of this man no he's, he's disgusting he's disgusting but he's now dead so that is the end of him well Thank was a, you so much. You're that welcome. That was a really good story. Thank you. Very I liked, well told. I like the triumphant end. <laughs> oh, you know I love a good ending. I know. You really like a good <laughs> ending. It has to come like together. closure. Yeah. yeah. They got to catch them. The confession always helps. Yeah. Justice. Yeah. And there was justice in the end. So. All right. Well, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Keep and- coming back. You can reach out to us at our Gmail at MostlyMacabrePod at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at MostlyMacabrePodcast. I'll be putting up some pictures of the victims and Bobby, and you can look on there for that. And we hope you keep listening. And until next time, bye now. Bye. Bye.